0: Hi, I'm Dan, host of the Still Parents podcast for the Lily May Foundation. We finished series two. We've been joined by some fascinating guys, all with their own unique stories and journeys, yet all remarkably similar in their own way. Once again, all our guests highlighted the importance of tackling mental health troubles and help being able to talk to other men and break down stereotypes. This special episode gives a glimpse of what you can hear when you delve into each episode in full. It can be very serious... It can be quite dark in places, as you would expect for a podcast like this. But one thing I've noticed during the two series so far is the absolutely incredible strength that every single one of our guests has within them. And in particular, how humour and friendship are more vital than ever during the darkest of times. If you need to talk to somebody, if you need to reach out, please get in touch with the Lily May Foundation. You are not alone, despite how much you may feel so. We will be back with Series 3 in the autumn and a very special episode coming up shortly where we will be talking to everyone who took part with the Lily May Foundation in the challenging but amazing Wolf Run and more recently our Adventure Day down at Bear Grills Adventure World in Birmingham. One thing that we have learnt on the podcast, especially in Series 2, is that no matter what we're talking about and no matter how serious the topic that week It will always, at some point, turn into a conversation about football, especially Ryan's fact of the week. You know what? Funnily enough, we're talking about football and very quickly.
1: Here's my football fact of the day, and I bet you didn't know this. When Matt was just talking about when he lost Cali and how you move forward on your daily, you know, your daily uh, routines and so Mm -hmm. forth, then something happens and you go straight back to square one. Do you know, back to square one was an actual original football commentary term that they used to use over the radio. So they used, okay. to split, they used to split the pitch into squares. So you had your commentator and your co-commentator who would tell you where the ball was. So when you were listening on the radio, if they said, oh, you were at square one, that means it went back to the goalkeeper.
0: Are you making that up? That is pure Stato, that is, mate. <laughs> see, I'm actually older than Ryan. I didn't even know that. Yeah, uh,
1: do you know what? Believe it or what not, was that? we're going back to like probably the 1930s, 1940s, maybe.
2: To be fair, the Albion have been playing a lot in Square One. We see. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can tell you another football fact and that is West Brom
0: and Leicester have never won the European Cup like Villa. Shall we move on?
2: Oh, here we go. <laughs> I
0: can't
2: remember what year that was either.
0: Um, I can give you a clue what it was, Matt. The commentary that day included the word square one. Square, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if this is a great question or if you can answer it with a definitive number, but was there, and obviously it's each everyone has their own set of circumstances, but a moment... Where you just had that, you know that feeling, and you have a sense of not everything's okay, and everything. Oh, it's all right now. We're we we're, we're cool again. But there was just a moment where you saw or sensed a, a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. I guess is the is the way to put it. Not in terms of time scale unless you can.
1: Um, that's a really, that's a really good question, actually, Dan. That's a. Th- That's a a very thought provoking question because we had a miscarriage after we lost Lily, probably what, three or four months after losing Lily. And at that point you didn't, you couldn't, to the, to the outside people that were looking in, I always thought that they were looking at us thinking failure, but from my perspective and Amy's perspective, it was never about failure. It was, it was just shit. It was just devastation all the time. Yeah. And
0: I think just having the, the emotions you're feeling at the time, you're gonna, it's maybe gonna automatically put a negative slant on your your, your psyche. You know, so you, yeah, it, that failure to, thing is just, prom- you know, it's there, isn't
1: it? I used to feel, I, I used to have a, a feeling in me that that I never really told many people is that I felt that people were looking in and thinking that we had failed them. So, Ie certain family members, I was looking thinking that we had failed family members because, you know, we had lost a daughter and we had lost a baby. I did go through a a big phase of that within myself. Um, And that was one of the sort of issues I dealt with um, through my counselling.
0: Did your family members sense that off you? Do you think? Was it ever something that you spoke about? No, 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 never, never spoke about it.
1: Um, because I didn't feel there was any need to speak yeah. about, it, to be honest. But in terms of the the sort of you know the the miscarriage and the um, moving forward from there and the knowing where things maybe there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, I don't think I can genuinely give an answer as to when I noticed light at the end of the mm. tunnel.
2: I think for, for my own experience, one of the light one of the times when I felt there was a bit of hope was. Um, the Lily May Christmas do. It was it was it was painful. It was it was bloody painful um, when we first got there because you walk into the church and you forget that people who've lost have gone on to hopefully have gone on to have other other children. And you walk in and you're like, oh God, oh like mm. there's, there's 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 little people around, um, and <laughs> and and you you kind of you, to start with you kind of leave to walk back out a little bit, try and gather yourself. But then mm. I then walked back in and thought, you know what? This is, this is a real big hope for me now. This is a real big light at the end of the tunnel, because I think actually, as Nick said, I think sometimes, well, not sometimes, I think all the time, well, I'm only speaking for us, but when you, when you lose and it's your first, especially you think, was that our chance? Was that our moment? Was that our time that we're not going to get again? But then seeing these families with with the children at, at, at the, the Christmas service, it did offer that that light. I also think as well that, like
1: we've spoken about in the past, about men and lack of control and losing control, my sort of feelings of failure came because I felt like I'd lost control and wasn't able mm. to protect.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Me.
3: You just put back a memory. The, the very first uh, sit-down I had with Amy, I remember my first question to her because uh, on when she whatsapped me I saw she's got your family photo so I and I saw all your your kids and obviously she told me the experience she had and the first question I asked was how many children have, have you had since and was it is it is it three you've had three since or yeah yeah and oh, yeah, as soon yeah. as she said as soon as she said that answer I was just yeah that was it for me I was like there's there's hope you know that was my hope already and then I love, I, mean, that. I, I, I love that. Yeah, I don't I don't see like a big tunnel with a big light. I always see like loads of little lights everywhere. So it's a case of mm. you know it's yeah. different lights, different
0: tunnels. Different yeah.
3: lights, different tunnels, and that's what it was. It's not it mm. wasn't it's not just one big tunnel of darkness and then a big light, you know, it's lots of little tunnels. And I remember um feeling so you know, so sad at the time and and looking forward to talking to Amy about sharing the experience, and then as soon as and that's another great thing about the Lily maid knowing that what you've gone through and you're you talking through experience as mm. opposed to maybe something that you're you know you, you maybe read through a book that you're trying to sort of put into real you know real life. As soon as she told me experience and I and then I su- suddenly thought about the picture that I saw in the watch. I said, Well, haven't you had you know have you got you, you had how many have you had since? She goes, three. And as soon as she said three, I remember sitting back going, Well, you know, if it can happen, if it yeah. can happen like that then I I'm 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 in, I'm straight away.
0: The next few clips you hear include Ian Lawton, who joined us live from his car in Dublin, talking about the amazing journey that he's been on and the importance of opening up and talking, something which we keep emphasising in this podcast. We also speak to Joe Riley, professional footballer currently with Mansfield Town and the impact of playing football and sports and also dealing with fans and social media in this day and age especially after being affected by losing a child. You'll also hear from Gary Anderson, who was our guest on episode four. Gary spent time working with the forces in Libya and also in Afghanistan and used it as a way to escape his demons and also escape the trauma which comes from losing a child. He's since released his own book called Daddy and the Two Bears.
4: I learned of a bereaved father's group. Uh, there's an organization in Dublin called the Little Lifetime Foundation that um, provide uh, sort of therapeutic services for for uh, bereaved parents in the aftermath of infant loss. And um, I had learned about them back in 2011, but really didn't make any inroads um, to to contact them or anything like that. But I was aware of them. So I may have followed them on Twitter. I don't know, but mm-hmm. a, something popped up on Twitter saying a, a, a dad's only meeting. I saw dad's only in capital letters. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, that that's something I should, I think I should go to. Because all, all the group meetings before were always, the partners or go. And I, you know, I just thought group therapy, geez. <laughs> no <Yeah>. thanks. <laughs> you yeah. know, particularly going as couples and. But they put what I've since learned is that they ha- had been putting on uh, couples meetings, and what they noticed was that at these meetings, dads were just there to support their wives and partners, and rarely, rarely spoke. So very astutely, the people who organized it said, I think we need to get the dads out of there. I shot them off an email looking for directions and where were they and where it put time. Things were on and stuff like that. And when I sent that email, I just started bawling, crying. Because something felt something to sort of released a little bit. And then I got the reply. And I remember pulling up outside the place and being terrified. I mean, I've got anxiety issues anyway, but this was like it was turned up to 11 and 12, and 13, it was just insane. And this, the sort of fight or flight response to just get the fuck out. Of, excuse my language, don't but to get worry, out of don't there. Don't you worry, you can swear as much as you want. Ian. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry, you can swear as much as you want. It's yeah, okay. thank you. Don't you. Worry about um, okay. and to be sitting outside their premises, and it was, it was just getting realer and realer and realer. <laughs> yeah. And then going up and knocking on the door, and then being led into the room, and here's your seat, and it's like this is. This is real. Else, this right? is happening now. And there was other gentlemen there, and then a few others joined. And um, they started off the meeting with with one of the one of the lads just recounting his story. Uh, again, that fight or flight thing was just mm-hmm. so strong. I wanted to get out of there. I need to leave. I can't. I can't deal with this. This is too much. This is too much reality. I need to go back to my comfortable little bubble and go back to that little box room and click a mouse all day long and that's all you know go back into my safety safety zone and eat food but But I stuck it out I stuck it out and people were taking turns to tell their story and it came to my turn and this is seven years of repressed emotion Mm. just just came it was you know it was like a tsunami of tears and not even being able to control my breath and there was no judgment. Hmm. Just the lads there, they had already cried those tears. They knew exactly what it was, what I was going through. And it just felt, it just felt awesome to listen to these lads. And what I realized at that, at that meeting was that we were all telling the exact same story fundamentally. Different character names, different events, different locations. But at its core, was yeah. exactly the same story and that's what bound us together Yeah. and what I realized for those seven years what was killing me was loneliness I knew intellectually I couldn't have been the only dad to ever lose a kid but it felt like that for seven years and now finally I felt I just didn't feel alone anymore and it was a I encourage any man out there who's listening to this who's seeking some kind of semblance of hope find your tribe find those men and just talk I mean I was laughing and smiling at that end of that meeting and there was one lad who was sitting next to me a guy called Keith he put his hand on my shoulder as he was leaving he says make sure you come back and I did I did and he's now one of my best mates like he's just a diamond you know I think you're you're remarkable. Clearly, the you know the grief's still there and
0: the memories. Like you said, it's so vivid. And I think sometimes when people are still dealing with with trauma and emotions and thoughts, try the clarity that you have when you're explaining it, there's no, there's no. It's amazing how clear you speak and how important that day was for you when you went into there. Usually, something that you just usually, said.
4: We're stronger together. Yeah. We yeah. might think we can do this alone. We might think we can shoulder the burden, but we are stronger together. We're so is- much stronger together. I mean, as well, as well, <clears> at <throat> that
5: time, because like I say, it was still raw. I did struggle talking about it. Yeah. So I remember like just straight after, uh, well, after Leo, I, remember, <clears throat> I used to have a car school driving to Shrewsbury. So it was like four of us really got on with all four of them. Great lads. and. I Never like first time getting in the car after it happened, I never even spoke about it. It was like, Oh, you're right, Joe. Yeah, right? and I, I, to be honest, I don't think they wanted to. But mm. looking looking back, like how uh, I should have, you know, what I mean, I, I probably just wasn't ready to start talking about it. I remember even going down to Plymouth, and I think one of the lads actually spoke to me about it, and he actually said, Oh, you know, we went for a night time, didn't you? I was like, Yeah, and I remember. Welling up, I remember my throat. Mm. Jeez, you know, I couldn't get my words out. That was the first time really that someone had asked me about it. You know, mm. one of the lads, or like I say, football is quite a, an industry where you don't, no one, no one talks. It's, you don't want to show weakness. You don't want to. You don't want to kind yeah. of let people know that you've, you know, you might be struggling back home and you're not happy because the manager, you might get wind. The manager might get wind. He don't play on a Saturday. He don't play on a Tuesday. Yeah. So. It's a de- it's a cutthroat business, mm. trust me. Mm. I, I, I'm i I'm like a lively character in the dressing room. I'm always taking a piss out of people, so mm. that was that was what I like to do. Come in, yeah. Kind of what what was at home was at home, but come in, talk to the lads, I mm. banter around the lads, and everything's forgotten about. But then, obviously, when you're driving home, yeah, then them emotions and them feelings and them thoughts still come back to you.
1: Do you ever it's- get to a point though, Joe, where you I don't know you might be in the middle it's of a game. I'm not saying for one minute anybody would be nasty enough to direct abuse at you. You know, yeah. I, mean, I know, I know. Jack Grealish got a lot of abuse about about his younger brother from. Yeah. Fans from a, from a rival club and so forth, and you like mm. to think that society would, you know, step away yeah. from that. It's only a minority of morons and do things like that. But yeah. you know, like Matt says, you're you're in a cutthroat business whereby you're playing a game, and let's be honest, you get dogs abuse for, yeah. you know, the majority of that game from not only the um, opposition supporters. But also potentially from some of your own supporters who yeah. you know are not playing well and stuff like that. So more than yeah. ever
0: these days with social media, but, uh, isn't it? It's just how relentless. Do you, yeah.
1: With that, how, how do you cope with that? Stop. Knowing that you're playing a game and you might have, we're all human and we'll all yeah. try our best to you know put ourselves into a position mentally, whatever that may be, to do <laughs> our yeah. job. But there becomes a point where you get to anniversaries or you get to certain times of the year. Mm. Birthdays, Father's Day, Mother's Day, things like that, where emotion just takes over. It doesn't matter how much you try and you know prepare yourself to to not react to that. I'm just interested in how, as a, a professional sportsman, you cope with something like that. Because yeah, see, I, I I never really experienced it to be honest. I like
5: I always had good good um, good connection with the Bolton fans. Never, like, I, I always used to get the, the odd comment, Always oh, made a glass, he's always injured. <laughs> um, but I always, like, always, even now, speak to the old Bolton fan, the window cleaner's a Bolton fan in my house, and he's always like, bloody hell, should have kept you. So I've always had, like, good comments and always yeah. online. Never never anything bad of my own fans. But, like I said, when I moved to Plymouth, I think I give away a penalty, which is the only penalty I've ever given away in my career on my first game, on my debut for him. Nightmare. <laughs> no, so I was like, I kind of <laughs> expected a little bit there. And then, I think the next game after that, it was crap again. So I was like, oh my God. And then I started getting a bit of abuse. Mm-hmm. I remember like, looking <clears> online, my <throat> missus is big on like Twitter and Instagram. I was getting a little bit of abuse. So obviously, that's mm-hmm. I think that's then when, uh, just before that probably, is when I started, you know, reality setting about, okay. about everything with Leo and then started getting a bit of abuse.
0: And you, you're sens- you're a little bit more sensitive to everything, I think. On top of that, a- a- anyway, yes. of course, yeah. Hmm. So I found it, I found it tough. Like, I remember, I understand. I remember, I, just, I remember
5: getting a throwing, and um, one of the Plymouth fans went, "Rally up!" and I never had that. And it, yeah. honestly, it was like, but you kind of, can Looking back, it definitely made me tougher because, yeah, I went. I actually, you know, turned it around. I went on to do okay for
0: after that. Really, I did quite well, but. Did yeah, you ever look out for that same fan? Was he a season ticket holder? So next time I'm throw in, you're
5: like... Yeah, oh, he's, he's he was on the where thing. On the he? On the what thing? do you think Oh, I just, him, I just remember him saying, like, and I was like, I've never experienced that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it's like you say, them them mm-hmm. kind of experiences make you suffer.
0: You did a little spell in, in Afghanistan.
6: It was my way out, mm. in a sense, I believe, to get away from... All the troubles I had in my own town, and I saw an advert in the Sun going back to '93, I think it was, trained as a body, the bodyguard. And my nana and granddad died within 11 days of each other, left me a thousand pound, and I knew that I thought I'd have just pissed it against the wall, and I put it to bodyguard course, and that was my way out to try and get away from the town and my demons. But I realised, looking back, I was just running away from them. To be honest, they mm. still followed, they still, still come with you. So anyway, I, I'd actually worked for gangsters and things as a, as a bodyguard and all the wrong people I went down the wrong road for mm. that. And, but actually, when I turned my life around, I wanted to do it properly. And hence, mm. I worked in Uganda for a while and went off to Libya to work. Then wow. headed from Libya over to Afghanistan for three months.
0: Was it you who caught Gaddafi?
6: No, no, I nearly did. <laughs> when I was working there, I, I was actually working in the care industry as well. I was working with kids who'd been abused. So I was, I was mm. trying to almost do half and half but I was almost at that time because my mental health I was embarrassed as well even to say I was working in care with
0: kids because I perceived that as soft and weak um, oh okay this all goes back sorry to jump in this all goes back to what you were saying earlier just the the impressions you know yeah. and the way that you learned how to deal with emotions from that young age because yeah. there's absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about that. it's no, quite I, old school isn't it the soft side it's okay you don't have to just be hard no, I, I, I
6: made myself so far male-dominated in the sense to not look at any sort of soft side or weak oh. side to me. And it was almost, it was just facage uh, really. That's not oh. who I am, but I, become, I lost who I was. I became a chameleon, to be honest. I just, oh. I knew how to fit in, but then I lost my own identity then. Yeah. I had no clue who I was. How
0: did you get that back?
6: Uh, meeting Michelle uh, in 99. As I said earlier, I'd walked into a pub to was me and my boss to take out some drug dealers actually. And I met her, I met her there really. And a year later, I was married to her, and she, she was a school teacher over there. I do believe things happen for a reason. Some people might say they don't, but that woman has saved my life. Meeting her absolutely saved my life. And what she's went through with me the cancer, the losing it, the,
0: the, the twins it's she doesn't deserve any of that man she's she's an angel her like michelle yeah for anyone who hasn't read the article yet or or no because we haven't covered that part uh on the podcast so far is it are we okay to talk about this uh yeah, Gary? so yeah. your, your wife she she contracted with breast cancer breast cancer yeah in t- 2017 yeah, yeah. so it, how, how are things at uh, present she, she's cancer free now. She's fantastic. She's,
6: she, 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 she's amazing, man. She, when she caught her, her first thing was, "I'm going to see my children grow up." And she was so determined. I'm going to see them grow up and be settled. That Brilliant. was her goal. That was her. She, she's she's just not a negative person at all. Even losing, she's got such a strong faith as well. That's what's got her through everything, really. Her faith is really strong.
0: I, I can't sing her praises. I, I know I wouldn't be doing this or, or even alive. Yeah. That's amazing I'm really happy to hear that it was all in a way it was the catalyst for where where you are now definitely, and definitely. with what's going on because there was certain I would like you to tell everyone about the was it a, it's like a tradition wasn't it on the yeah. the anniversary of yeah. your, your twins Alana and Dana. Yeah every every birthday
6: Michelle would go around and get birthday cakes and Go, go out early in the morning and, and deliver it to all lay on the doorsteps for, for her family so it was a memory thing for her
0: yeah
6: selfishly me I would have taken no part in it uh, at all uh, okay, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even want to talk about a birthday or anything sadly when she got the cancer she was bedridden so obviously the birthday came up and she says could, could you do it and you know what even then I didn't want to do it mm. but I, I did uh, but it absolutely broke me. It absolutely mm. destroyed me when I was delivering them. I came back home, as I said earlier, and I've got I, I, I've got a little room at the back there. Where I teach self defence, and I took Alana's memory box and Dana's memory box into the room there and looked at the baby clothes, which I've never, never, ever done. Mm. Looked at the cards, people lovely cards and messages people sent. And it, I, the only way I can put it down is it destroyed me. But then, when, then I thought, how how can I? tell my story to michelle this is where it started how can i tell yeah. my story i can't say the words
2: mm.
6: so i started writing writing it down then I, then I then i started to think there must be other dads exactly the same as me different, yeah. different situations but lost the child i thought how how can I, I maybe see if i can get this into a book never thinking anything about it really put it into a book and that's how it kind of done and me and michelle said what can we call it but we always called them our little bears. So, And I thought, Goldilocks and the three bears. And me and Michelle played with them. We thought, Daddy and the two bears. And that's that's how it came. And, you know, I, I went to Vernon University, saw a woman in there. And she wants to get put into the midwifery section where, you know, midwives can read it and understand about dads. Because I, I don't know about you guys. who have lost the children. I never got offered any help. And, I, and I've got to hold my hand up here. Even if I did, I'd have said no. I know, I right. know that I would have definitely done that back then. There was nothing there. And I just think even now I don't think there's much there. And some somewhere it has to start. It had to start with the women. I'm not taking anything from women. Women deserve everything that what they have and more. But we need to start somewhere with men now. My generation, like I said earlier, might not take participating that, but there needs to be something there where our children, if that ever happens to them, because you know it will happen to some somebody's child, it's there for them and that, that, that i'm really passionate about that i just I just have to get something now around this country for me as
0: well 100 agree and one thing that you said just a moment ago uh, i'd like to just ask you about a little bit more because you said if you had been offered the help you wouldn't have took it uh, definitely not no. if there's anyone listening to this who are in that that headspace right now yeah if i did get offered it i wouldn't take it yeah. for someone who's seen both sides of the coin what would you say to that please, person? Please, I've got the answer. Please
6: take it. You've got to take it. Yeah, it's so it's so important. I used to think there's no right and wrong way to deal with grief. I can only speak for myself, yeah. The wrong way for me was not dealing with it. Mm. That was that was me. You know, everybody else got different ways, and that you have to deal with it. Definitely. Wherever that way deal, you're dealing with it, it doesn't have to be a counselor. It can be a partner, it can be a friend in the pub, a friend in a coffee shop. Just going for a walk—it's talking to somebody, you know. That that, that, that I'm a belie- I'm, I'm a really big, passionate believer in that.
7: I was living in New Jersey, living the dream, and then uh, lockdown and COVID put an end to that. So, you know, I've been doing bits around. Have you good. have you moved back because of that? Yeah, mate. So I um I lost my job out there oh, because of COVID. I was working at an amazing place, but um, COVID put an end to that. They couldn't guarantee work, so. Yeah, come but it's been a great, you know, it's been a blessing in disguise. To be honest with you, I've got to start this, you know, impactivity. So, oh, that's good. Cool. Well, I like blessing in disguise. Yeah, I like that attitude straight away. It's the cup half yeah. full mentality, isn't it? Now, the Thank reason God you're
0: God on tonight God. is Matt actually reached out to myself and Ryan just a few days ago about getting you on as a, as a potential guest. So, Matt, I would like you to do the honors <laughs> of uh, of giving Andy, or you can do it between the two of you. Um, how how you came to know each other, what your relationship is. And uh, why we've got you on the podcast tonight? Basically,
2: uh, a guy who I grew up uh, living across the road from. Basically, is a friend of Andy's, and he got in touch with me and, and said that Andy was doing was doing uh, starting this business, um, and it was all around mental health and helping people and and um, and, and men's mental health. So um, I, I said to Chris that eventually I'd like to get Andy on, and, and me and Andy only spoke for the first time last. Tuesday. had a good conversation and and, and he introduced me to his his company and uh, uh, from there I suppose Andy can really go in and tell you exactly what what he's looking to do at the moment.
7: Yeah of course. Um, So basically uh, Impactivity was born out of my story really, my story with mental health. I think me and Ryan were speaking before the podcast started about how men struggle to open up and I've been guilty of that since I was about 15 years old. So I'm six foot eight. I'm a rugby player. And when I was at high school, I was immediately put into the, you're the big man, you're the shoulder to cry on sort of category of people. And when you're young and you're going through, I don't know, any sort of stress, I feel like you'll listen to any guidance you're being given by older people. So when I was told, you know, you've got to be that shoulder to cry on, that's what I just Mm. embodied straight away. I'm 28 now, so 13 years on, I was still doing that. And it was becoming detrimental, but I didn't know any different. Up until um, just before Christmas this year, I uh, fell into depression and um, I was in a really bad way. And it was that that forced me to talk to someone. So a couple of days before Christmas, I went to um, the doctors to speak about what was going on inside my head how I was feeling and they diagnosed me with depression like we said about New Jersey it's like a half you know cup half full sort of thing yeah was sort of a weight off my shoulders when I had something when I had a name given to what was going on with me and I was like it was a sink or swim sort of moment and I decided to swim and I was like how can I make a difference with what's going on with me and how can I make sure that nobody has to go through what I've gone through to discover that there is help out there, and that's when I was like, right, we're going to create this company. So I reached out to the Prince's Trust in January on their enterprise program, explained to them that this is what I want to do. I want to use my passion, which is sports coaching mm. and get people talking about mental health. And that's where that's where it's came from, really. I just want to make a difference. I want to use my story and give people role models. me and Ryan were talking. Mm saying, yeah, it's amazing that there's people like Tyson Fury, all these, Prince Harry, all these celebrities coming out right now and talking about mental health. But I think things like this tonight are even more important because we're just four normal lads having a conversation about mental health. And I think that is really important. So hopefully there's other people listening to this tonight. who will go home and have conversations with their mates down the pub or at their sports teams.
0: I think brilliantly well said. What is your... If if anyone, by the way, would like to reach out to you or get in touch with you or follow what you're doing, how can people do that?
7: Yeah, so Facebook, uh, it's Impactivity, Talking Without Limits. Um, It's the same on Instagram, uh, Impactivity, TWL. And uh, I've shared uh, the Lily Mae Foundation stuff, so you should be able to find me on that. So, yeah.
0: Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. If you would like to come on and be a guest, Once again, you can get in touch. The details are in the description and we will see you very soon for Series 3.